This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Oh, if you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, open up in your Bibles. Actually, open up to Luke chapter 22. I really want to come from there uh, this morning. But also find, if you will, Galatians chapter 5. Luke chapter 22, but uh, also find Galatians chapter 5. We have been pointed and directed by our pastor, I believe through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to concentrate on being focused and being undistracted. And I think it's always worthy of addressing being focused and undistracted because you're alive. And life comes with certain things. And challenges come with life. Amen? You want to live? you got to accept challenges. There's no way around it. It's funny to me when children, you know, we've all been there, I believe, at one point in time. But now that, we're, now that I'm older and then you see children where you used to be and they're rambling, can't wait to get out. Well, okay, get out and find that once you get out, oh, life has challenges. Yeah, you recovered. When you're into somebody else's household. But you get out there on your own, you find out that life comes with challenges. So you have to accept it. Alright? And challenges test your resolve. How serious are you? Now, we're talking about going forward with the things of God. So it's, challenges are going to test your resolve to finish. And the quitting, when we quit, it says that my resolve to finish is not stronger than the challenges. And so we need to stay focused. We need to stay undistracted. But there's Galatians chapter 5 verse 7. There's some, some things I just don't know how to say, but this scripture came to mind. And when I was thinking about these after the notes were together, I was thinking about these things. But this one scripture in Galatians chapter 5, and I understand that we are endeavoring to follow after the example of the church at Philippi. And Galatians is not the church of Philippi, but Paul brings up a very interesting question. Well, he brings up a statement followed by a question in Galatians 5 and 7. It starts out with saying this, ye did run well. That captures me. It says, ye did run well. Somebody, some people, who would is hearing it, who are hearing this, you might have been a person who did run well. But then Paul goes on to ask a question. Who did hinder you? That you should not obey the truth. He said, you were running well. What stopped you from running well? And so some people who are hearing this, they did run well, but they're not running like they used to. And then the question becomes, what hindered you? This is a personal thing. Was it the pandemic? You know, it's amazing how a pandemic? You were running well and then the pandemic came and you're not the same believer you used to be? I don't know. Was it, one of the things that gets people is the convenience they found in the pandemic where we had to stream. And they encountered the convenience and said, you know what, why do I have to do what I used to do 
when God can bring it right to me. Maybe that was, I don't know. Church, this is personal. Was it because our founding pastor is no longer with us? That's a question. But you did at one time run well. And I don't know the answer. You know the answer. God knows the answer. Why aren't you running like you used to? Now, there are others of us who are running and are running well. But I want you to understand this. Challenges are a part of life. You can't take for granted because you're running well now that you will automatically continue to run. And so, you'll see when we get into this, this message is really intended to reach those who did run well and also minister to those who are running well. If you are entitling your notes, you can entitle the notes Focused and Undistracted and subtitle it Following the Master. Focused and Undistracted following the master. Now turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. There's one scripture, one verse in particular I want to get to, but we'll start at verse number 39. And we find here our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. He is coming to a point where he's about to be betrayed. He's coming to a point where the disciples are about to be scattered. He's about to be left all alone. But before this point, he's right there at the precipice of this. In verse 39 it says, And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. And here's the operative verse, verse 42. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's in essence saying, and this, this is also repeated in Mark and, and Matthew. But he's in essence saying, if it's possible to change these details, let's go ahead and change them. But if not, I want your will to be done. Now, there is so much in this scripture. To me, there's so much in this scripture. First of all, here's one of the things that's in the scripture. We're not going to concentrate on this. But one of the things that's in the scripture is we find his humanity. We find our Lord crying out to the Almighty. And I don't know about you, but I don't know deity. I do know humanity. And I've been there before. In Dallas, I'll be there in times to come. But there are times when in our humanity, we've got to cry out. And we find our Lord and our Savior. Oh, what a high priest we have. We do not have a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he's familiar with our situation. But we see here his humanity. On top of this, we see the depths of his sacrifice. Now, there's a lot debated and not said about what he's actually asking. This is what I know. Okay. This is what I know. He is, 
entering into a spot. Let me say it this way. When you review this episode as it is described in the scriptures, it mentions agony. It mentions heaviness. It mentions, he says, he says, I'm sorrowful unto death. He's carrying something that we can't even begin to fathom. He is not in, I don't know where we get this theology from. Everything's going to be smooth for us. It wasn't smooth for him. He didn't necessarily enjoy the ride. He endured it. He was not enjoying it. He was going to the cross. But if that wasn't enough, it came also with separation. Wow. I, I can't imagine. I really can't. I can't imagine this at all. Again, I don't want to dwell too long on this because this, this is not where we want to focus on. But how it is that we see death and we're like, I don't know. What's, I, I can't imagine. Because all we've known is life. All he's known is to be one with the Almighty. He's about to be separated. I can only imagine. Not only that, here comes what he's not known before. The sin of the world. Totally laid upon him. He's also going to experience, and this is part of his humanity as well, he's going to experience rejection from those he came to save. The very self-same people that he loves. I mean, this, is, this is the depth of his sacrifice he's speaking to right here. How heavy this thing is. This is what he is carrying. It comes with silence in the face of those he's greater than. Again, I'm speaking to your, your humanity right now. Because, you know, sometimes when people speak down to you, you can't stand it. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. They think less of you than you really are. He's going to keep silence through this. And he is greater than them. There's no debating. He's developed relationships with people. He's going to see them suffering because they're going to be hurt because he's gone. And if that's not enough, he's in the body. Capable of physical pain and exhaustion. It speaks to the depth of his sacrifice. But get this. When you see all that, then you see his consecration. Because in the face of all that, he has this word, nevertheless. What a wonderful Savior. He sees all this. He says, if it's possible, if there's some other way to escape all of these, all the details that come with the cross, I'll take that route. But, nevertheless... That's consecration. It also speaks to his sobriety. Now, we will get to this a little bit later. But he held himself together and never lost control. <laughs> he didn't fly off the handle. He kept it all where it needed to be. He stayed where he had always been, even through the agony. And then it speaks to his focus. See, we're going to concentrate on his focus and his sobriety today. 
speaks to his focus. Among other things, these are just some of the things they speak to. It speaks also to his holiness. Who else could go? Who else could finish this mission? Who else could take it on and carry it the way he did? Who else could take the depths of his sacrifice and be as consecrated as he was? It also speaks to his lordship. Because you know, he was made lord even though he was with the Godhead from the beginning. In other words, he earned his stripes. Nobody died and made him boss. He, he took it up himself. And let's not talk about his love. He did that all. That we might be called his people. The Bible says he's not ashamed to call us brother. And his love cost. And he was willing to pay the price. What a wonderful Savior. Now today, again in my mind, this is like a one-time message. But don't you know I have a limited mind? And so we'll see how far we get. I really only, I want to keep it as simple as possible. I only have really two, two and a half key points. I really want you to leave understanding and grabbing a hold of. Here's key point number one. And I don't even really know how to say this, but what we're doing, again, is we're following the master. No one else stayed as focused as our Lord and our Savior. No one else stayed as undistracted as he did. And so he's laying out something for us to grab a hold of here. And I want you to see this. In him staying focused here. In him keeping his eyes where they need to be fixed. We have to understand this. How do I say it? The fuel, the battery juice, the energy for him staying focused and him being undistracted his will. This is what empowered him to stay focused. The will of the Father. And so we'll just call it, for short, his will. See, we need to follow the Master. If we're going to stay focused and not be distracted... We're going to have to have with us our eyes fixed upon his will. I'm not going to give you some fancy definition of his will. His will, quite simply put, is what he's after. That's his will. He's after something. And so when we speak of his will, we're talking about what he's after. God, what is your will? God, what are you after? God, I'm here right now. Now that I'm here, what are you after? What's your will? God, I changed states. Not physically. I may have gone from unmarried to married. But now that I've changed states, now that I'm married, what's your will? What are you after in my marriage? I want you to know this about his will. And if you have been following along, and if you remember this ministry, hopefully you have been following along with the teachings. We've been concentrating on staying focused and undistracted. We talked about seasons and how seasons come and they go, how we have to stay focused throughout the seasons. Here's the thing about his will. His will spans every season. 
His will spans every season. I'm somebody's child. My father has gone on to be with the Lord. So my father had his time. You know, in my father's time, his will was there. Now I'm here. And now that I'm here, my father's no longer here, even though in my father's time his will was there, now, in my time, his will is here. There's going to be a time when I leave to my reward. And at that time when I leave to my reward, I have children. And it's going to be their time. And in their time, they're going to have to find out that even though in their granddad's time his will was there, in their dad's time his will was there, in their time, his will is here. His will spans every season. In other words, his will stands. We move. We're up, sometimes down, in, sometimes out, but his will still stands. So in good times, his will is there. In bad times, his will is there. In sickness, his will is there. Listen to me, I'm not saying it's his will that you be sick. I'm saying even though you are sick, his will still stands. When you're healthy, oh, sometimes in our health we forget that his will still stands. He's after something. I know we're after some things. But we're talking about staying focused. And it's not your will that's going to keep you focused. It's his will. So no matter what comes up, his will is in play. Follow me now. I'm trying to keep it simple. I believe you're following me. No matter what comes up, his will is in play. No matter what comes up, God's after something. Therefore, God always has a plan. Oh, this is going to be so encouraging. It, it, it encourages me, at least. You don't have to be encouraged. Well, God, I'll take the encouragement. I'll take it all if I... No matter what comes up, God has a plan. Therefore, there's nothing that catches my God unprepared. There's nothing that catches him off guard. There's no oops with God. He's not thrown by any situation. You thought today would always be today. You thought the way it is today would always be this way. Then tomorrow comes. And what you thought would always be is no longer what you banked upon. But I want you to know, his will still stands. He has a plan. Wow, I, I, I love this. He has a plan. You, you see, what we do is we grow dependent upon things. And when we grow dependent upon things, we think as long as these things are situated just the way they are today, I'm alright. But then life happens. Tomorrow comes. See, I thought that 
I would always be by the side of this person and that person would always be by my side. But then tomorrow comes. Tomorrow eventually comes. And they're no longer by your side or you're no longer by their side. And you're like, what do I do now? God has a plan. Ooh, this is the thing that gets me. Because some of our wounds are self-inflicted. But God knows you. And so because he knows you and you would inflict yourself with wounds, he still has a plan. You thought your health would never fail. Then tomorrow came. Your health failed. But I want you to know, God has a plan. We're talking about staying focused. We're talking about following the master. See, the time of his passion is upon him. But he knows, no matter the season, his will spans those seasons. That God, the Almighty, knows what tomorrow brings. And knowing what tomorrow brings, his will still stands. He's after something. He's got a plan. You put yourself in a situation you have no business being in. He's got a plan. Ooh, that gets me. And you, in your shame, come to God who has a plan. What a wonderful Savior. I'm telling you, that's love. That's love. That he would put himself through the depths of the sacrifice that he went through, knowing that you would be your own worst enemy. But he said, nevertheless, because you've got a plan. And I don't know how else to say it. I don't even know how to segue into it. I'm just going to say it. Faith is not found in you denying facts. This is an irritant of mine. Okay. Because I know the things that are taught. And I'm not mad at you for following after the teaching. I'm mad at the teacher for teaching the things that are wrong. And there's this wave that, that has caught a hold within Christianity that has us denying facts. As if our faith can't be faith if the facts are the way they are. But your faith doesn't need the denial of facts. And I understand, I, I do understand, somebody will say well, there's truth in their facts, and truth, are greater, uh, truth is greater than facts. And yes, that is true. But until those facts change, those facts are the present facts. See, because facts can change. Truth remains the same. But if you don't know how to direct your faith, that fact may never change. Truth does not depend on you denying facts. The faith is not suddenly made of no effect because of present facts. Now, your faith might be shaken, but the faith, the gospel, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't change with facts that come and go. This is important. Please follow on. Because I want to correct some wrong theology. Again, this, this is not to belittle anybody in what you have believed. It is to bring you to 
better understanding. You're denying a present fact to be so is not faith. Let me tell you that right now. You can deny it all you want to, but that's not faith. Doesn't make it faith. Here you are. You got a fever. I'm not talking 99. I'm talking over 100. Here you are coughing. Runny nose. And you're going to say, I'm not sick. That's not faith. That is not faith. Please understand me. Again, as the people, so much people, so must be the priest. So I know the teachings are out there. Some of you may have been privy to these teachings, and some of you may have accepted these things as truth. But I'm telling you right now, that's not faith. That's something different. God didn't give you that. And again, I want to make sure, because I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven if you believe this at one point in time. I'm not saying that you don't truly love God. I'm saying that your theology is off. Not only do we have people around denying facts, because I, I can hear people say this. It's not that I'm denying them. I just won't say them. Again, I would hope that each and every one of us know better. But we may not. Let God speak to you. Refusing to repeat a thing. Now, that is your choice. You can refuse to repeat anything. That's your choice. But I want you to understand, that's not faith at work. You think not saying a thing keeps that thing from being true. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go here. Trust me, you'll, you'll understand here. If you're not understanding it yet, you will understand. You think not accepting a thing, not saying a thing, prevents it from being the case. Then I have this question. Well, you apply that in some places. In other places, you don't apply that. So then the question becomes, when are you all right to apply that? And when are you wrong to apply that? Look, you apply to the doctor's report. The doctor says they saw this. That's not true. But you don't apply that to your children's grades. Seriously. I mean, if it's that way there, why isn't it that way when it, your, children, your child comes and here's a D? Oh, that's not true. That's an A. We don't do that, do we? We don't do it when somebody owes us money. Oh, we're not naming and claiming debt relief at that time. No, you see these things because we are taught these things and we follow along with them, not really recognizing what's going on. And here it is. I understand this as well. I can hear the minds say, these religious minds say, but we have divine healing. That's why I can apply it to hell. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. 
some of you are familiar with uh, David and his journey. And one of the episodes in David's life was that he was away from camp. He and his men, the men were away fighting. They come back to Ziklag and they find out that the Malachites, while they were gone, had raided their camp. And when they had raided the camp, they took all the women, all the sons, all the daughters with them. And so the people come, they find all the, all their, all the women, all the children gone, and they're in an uproar. But you know what David didn't do? He never denied that that wasn't the case. He didn't deny that at all. He wouldn't say, no, we're going to stand in faith. This is not so. <laughs> this is not the case. That would be silly, wouldn't it? But we say we have divine help, okay? And I do want to understand, I do want to make sure you understand this. I believe healing is the children's bread. I do believe that. We have to rightly divide. Luke chapter 4, verse number 9. And the devil brought our Lord to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The scripture does state that the angels would have charge. They wouldn't allow him to dash his foot against the stone. In other words, Jesus had a promise. Stay with me. Jesus had a promise. But you know what that promise, what he didn't do? He didn't jump. If the promise was so sure, and the promise is sure, why didn't he jump? Why didn't he budge? In fact, he says, if I were to jump, I'd be tempting God. What? Then why didn't he jump? Because if he did, he'd be tempting God. There's this thing that we try to discount. We try to drive by. It's called personal responsibility. Now, now listen to me. Here you are in the doctor's office. The doctor says, I see this. I've got the promise of divine healing, so I reject that. No. 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 I'm healed of the Lord. So you're telling me. I had a checkup here recently. Went to the doctor. Actually, very recently. Went to the doctor. The doctor was going over some numbers with me and showing me some things. And then explain, okay, here's some things you need to stay away from and make sure. No, these are the things that you eat. These are the things that you need to avoid. Now, what would I be claiming divine health, going out and eating everything that that doctor told me to avoid? What would I be doing at that time? I'm tempting God. See, what we want is we want God be good to me when I'm bad. 
Because I want to be as bad as I want to be. And you've got to be good to me. You're tempting God. That's not how this works. It's called stewardship. We have personal responsibility. And so when the doctor says, I see this, and says, you need to do this, what are they speaking to? They're speaking to your personal responsibility. We get to the point where we reject the doctor's assessment. We reject their advice. And we come to God and say, God, do your thing. And God is like, you haven't read Luke 4, 9 through 12, have you? That's tempting. God. Again, I want to help you out here. This all works together. So, huh. I'm, I'm going to read this as I wrote this down. So, here I am. The doctor tells me, stay away from this and stay away from that. This stuff is killing you. If I go out there and I digest all that stuff that's killing me, claiming healing is the children's bread, I may not live to tell the story of how that theology was wrong. That's real. That's true. But, but you know what, what should happen? When the doctor says, I see, we need to recognize God has a plan. Instead of denying the facts, I hold on to the truth. His will still stands. Ooh, oh, catch this. So what do I need to be? I need to be in his plan. No, you missed that altogether, didn't you? I need to be in his plan. Because outside of the plan, what hope do you have? Now you're wishing. Let me tell you, healing is the children's bread. Stay his child. You hear me? Stay his child. What does that mean? It means I've got to stay focused even when the facts don't match what I want. How do I stay focused? Nevertheless, your will. You've got a plan. God, I didn't see this coming, but you are not caught unprepared. You're not caught off guard. You've got a plan. Even in my sickness. Even in the face of doctor's report, even when things aren't going right, even in the failing of relationships, God, you have a plan. So we need to hold on to the truth that no matter the present facts, God has a plan. But the challenge for us is, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is David, right? This is David and 1 Samuel chapter 30. The challenge for us is that God doesn't tend to give us the details. You see, what we want is we want God, I want to be healed. I want to be healed in this time. And I want to be healed without any pain. I want to be healed without going through this. I want to be, all that. But you know what? God doesn't give us that kind of detail. Now, he may. And again, that's, that's up to God. But chances are, you're not getting that. First Samuel chapter 30. And not only that, we understand that it's about his will and not ours. And so it's just possible that he doesn't give us the end we're hoping for. You know, the end we want, 
we want, I want, she was bad to me, so I want her to get hers. He was good to me, so I want him to get, and, and God's like, I'm not, it has nothing to do with me. I got a plan, and you stay in your lane, and let me work my plan. And because here's what, here's what happens. Here's, we get to the place where we're in an uncomfortable situation, and we're like, God, how long? Okay, I know you got a plan, but, but can you speed it up? And I want you to understand, God is working on something. See, while you were in a place where he needed to reach you, he had to work on somebody else. He had arranged things to get to you. You don't even know it. First Samuel chapter 30. But the challenge for us is, yeah, God has a plan, but yeah, he doesn't, he, I want the details. And, and I want it to come out the way I want it to come out. First Samuel chapter 30, verse number 8. This, this is David at Ziklag, right? So here it is. People are going crazy. They, they, they're losing heart. And David understands this. Oh, this is, David's got it together. Verse 8. And David inquired at the Lord. And I love David's questions. Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Ooh, David didn't, David didn't claim the promises. I'm going to pursue and I'm going to overtake. No, he inquired of God because he knows God has a plan. And God's plan might just be that I might not be able to overtake. It just may not be the outcome I'm hoping for. But what did God tell David? Pursue. You shall overtake and you shall recover all. But I want you to know David understood. He didn't take that for granted. Neither should we. Because he understands it's not about my will. This is staying focused. It's not about my will. It's about his will. Jesus, in his cry before the Almighty, says, is this the only way? And I want you to understand this. Sometimes his plan requires the undesirable journey. Sometimes this plan does. But I want you to know, and I want you to be encouraged in this, because I know how we are. That doesn't excite us. And we come to church to be excited, brother. But don't you know, on the journey, he has benefits. Don't you know on the journey, he says, now, now you've got the sure mercies of David. You've got new mercies that are new every morning. You've got his grace along the way. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see Hebrews chapter 12. So remember, God's will, God's plan is bigger than my season. But also remember, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12. And two. Because this is what we're doing. We're looking unto Jesus. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Here's the end of God's plan, joy. It might be hard to fathom on the journey to joy. But his plan is a good plan. (laughs) 
And in this plan, trust me, in the end, you benefit. How could he love you the way he loved you, lay down his life for you, for the setup? That's not what he's about. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? That's the end of God's plan. Endure the cross, despising the shame, and to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you hold course, there's joy at the end. This is why I say you have to stay in his plan. If you don't hold course, there are no guarantees. But if you hold course, there's joy at the end. Look at this in Jeremiah chapter 29. 29 and 11. Many of us know this already. Let me turn that. I don't want to misquote it. Jeremiah 29. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I want to tell you the blessed thing about this. He is speaking to a people who are suffering because of self-inflicted wounds. These are his people. They turned their face away from God. They did the things that God said, do not do. But he has a word for me. He says, I know you. I knew you before you were a nation. And I still chose you. And I knew you would be foolish from time to time. And even in your foolishness, I still have a plan. And the end of my plan is your good. Even though you do me wrong. I got a plan for your good. Even though I told you to go left and you went right, I still got a plan because I knew you'd go right against my left instructions. And the end of that plan is to bring you to an expected end. There's peace there. Not evil for you. And he's telling them the reason why you're in evil now is because you weren't on my plan. Now get on the plan. So instead of running from God, you should run to God no matter what. Because he's got a plan that brings about your joy. It's because, let me tell you this about God. And I want to say, I don't believe God's joy is threatened at all. I mean, he has enough that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. So it's all about being good to you. That's an amazing thing to me. A guy could go about his business and say, I'm done with him. You know what he told Moses? Well, I'm done. <laughs> but God had a plan because he knew they would push him to that point. So he said, my plan includes Moses, who was standing in the gap. Because he is determined to be good to you. So in other words, he's not uncaring. He is not unsympathetic to your situation, to your pains, or to your hurts. Wow. And in the midst of all that, he wants you to understand, I still got a plan. Here's what I... Again, I'll just say it. God does not ordain all the things that go on in our life. You know why not? Because we're in control. 
others are in control. Sometimes we do bad things to others. Sometimes others do bad things to us. God did not ordain those things, but he factored it in. And he has a plan in spite of what's happened in your life. In spite of the pains. In spite of the inflictions, whether you inflicted it or somebody else inflicted it upon you, he still has a plan. Don't run from him. His plan turns mourning into dancing. His plan says, yeah, weeping might endure for a night. But joy is coming in the morning. Keep your eyes on his will. Turn back to Luke 22. And sometimes the journey is uncomfortable, but God's not uncaring. God's not removed from that. Luke 22, verse 43. Jesus has cried out to the Almighty. says, if it's possible, let there be some other details along this journey. But nevertheless, I'm focused you got a plan, and I want to stay with that plan. Verse 43. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. See, sometimes we'll need strength, and God understands. But he still has a plan. He says, and this plan's got to work a certain way. And at the end of this plan, there's an expected end. There's peace. There's evil. There's joy. There's dancing. There's rejoicing. There's the wiping away of every tear from every eye. But I need you to go through this right now. I don't want to. I understand. He says, I understand. So I'm going to send you strength for your journey. His will, his plan has what you need to make it through. Thank you, God. He has what you need to make it through. Oh, I'm, I'm just so blessed by this. I really am. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because I hear... Some Hebrew boys stand before the king and said, you know what? We don't want to go through this fire, but nevertheless, not our will, but his will be done. And he may not deliver us, but we trust his plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But here's our song. But God is faithful. God is faithful. You might be going through some things right now. And you're like, I didn't want to be here. But God has a plan. And he's faithful. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer? He's not just going to sit back and watch you suffer. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He says, I'm going to provide you with what you need to make it through. And I understand it gets tough sometimes. I know it gets difficult sometimes. I know it's trying sometimes. It feels like the pain just won't leave, but he has strength waiting for you. He has provision for you. And I want you, I want you to know, if you stay focused, you stay on this plane, you're going to make it. You're going to be just fine. See, the snare of the fowler comes and says, no, no, you can't trust God. Trust Him. Trust Him. And in the times when you find it difficult to trust Him and you read all the scriptures, you can't. I believe this. This is part of 
God's help for us on our journey. He puts you around people who have been through already. And in those times when you turn, you find somebody, how did you get here? God had a plan and he placed them there just for times like this when he knew it was going to be hard for you. So when the facts are difficult, you need to draw close to God. Hallelujah. When the facts are hard and trying, that's not the time, that's not the time to stay away from church. That's the time to wash your face. Comb your hair. Take a bath. Get it together. And listen, None of us need to know what's going on. Because it's not our will that keeps you focused. It's His will. And no matter the present facts, He's got a plan. Back to Luke 22 and 42. Saying, Father, verse 42 says, Saying, Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here's the other thing I want you to see out of this scripture. Again, I'm just going to have to say it and we'll see it as we go along. But he's staying sober here. Remember I said that we see his sobriety here. Sobriety keeps you focused. Sobriety keeps you focused. Again, I just want to keep it as simple as possible. The energy you need is found in His will. And sobriety keeps you focused. Now, when it comes to sobriety, I know we don't... I think we're familiar with it. But the root word of sobriety is sober. And we know the opposite of being sober is being drunk. <laughs> or intoxicated, if you like that better. You know, I wasn't drunk. I was just intoxicated. Whatever. It's not good to be drunk. <laughs> so, sobriety refers to the condition of staying sober. You've got to stay sober. So, when I say sobriety keeps you focused, we can, you can easily say staying sober keeps you focused. Now, we're not talking about physical body here. Okay. We're talking about you and your thought life. So again, sober is obviously the opposite of drunk, intoxicated, whatever it is. But it's not good to be drunk. Amen? I'm going to say that again. It's not good to be drunk. It's not good to get buzzed. Well, sometimes I need that relief. It's not good. I'm talking to the believers. Now, you're not under his kingdom, under his realm. You get as drunk as you want to because this is all you got unless you find the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't get any better outside the kingdom. So get all the fun you can. But in the kingdom, no, no, and no. I'll tell you why. Here's, here's one main reason why. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31.
here it is. All right. Verse 4. It is not for kings, Olamuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Here's the reason why. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Here's what happens when you get buzzed. Here's how the world says it to sell it to you. You lose your inhibitions. No, you forget who you are. That's what happens. Losing your inhibition. You forget who you are. You lose constraints. In other words, you lost your mind. That's what happens when you get buzzed. You get drunk. That's why you shouldn't be behind the wheel of a car being buzzed. You lost your mind. You can't think straight. You can't keep things where they need to be. You forget. So when, you talk, when we talk about being sober, we're saying that you keep your mind. You don't forget who you are. So you see Jesus. Again, we're following the Master. In his agony. In his heaviness. We see that his thoughts. Wow, this, this gets me. In his agony, his thoughts are still on the Almighty. Mm, I, I, I don't know how else to say that. In his agony, his, his thoughts are still on the Almighty. His number one consideration is still towards God. Here's the other half of the key point. So, sobriety keeps us focused. But sobriety is found when God is in your thoughts. Sobriety is found when God is in your thoughts. Let me say this to you another way. Turn to Psalms chapter 10. When God is not in your thoughts, you're not sober. Did you hear me? When God is not in your thoughts, you're not sober. Again, I'm talking to kingdom people. I'm talking to the born again saints. You call yourself a Christian, a believer. But you exclude God from your thoughts, whatever those thoughts are. That's not sober. We're not talking about whether or not you can hold your liquor. We're talking about your mind. Where your thinking is at. When we make moves for our family, concerning our family, that impact our family, and God is not in our thoughts, you're not sober. You're not sober. When you make career choices, listen to me. We've got children who go to school and they got plans. And you born again child you, you born again good student you, if in all your plans God is not in your thoughts, you're not sober. We got children who can't wait to go off and leave their parents to go some other place away from their eye shot. And I want to guarantee you God's not in those thoughts. And your decision making is not sober. You lost your mind. 
Oh, this is true. How do we say this? And I want to say this right, but the reason you want freedom is so that you can go buck wild. God's not in those thoughts. And you can cover it up and all say, you know what, Mama, Daddy, help me look for a church there. Come on now. God's not even, you're playing a game now. Not in those thoughts at all. And here you are, and I, I want to I consider this too. Sometimes we make decisions based on the money, and God's not in our thoughts at all. You lost your mind. And what we find is that to whom much is given, much is required. And that space that belonged to God now belongs to somebody else. And when you are outside of God's plan, oh my goodness, life happens. And only in God's plan is the end expected in. We end up with problems and issues that we could have avoided if we had just had God in our thoughts. You can't be sober making decisions like that. Psalms chapter 10. Verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. It's talking about the wicked. Now, you can go and you can get other versions and they'll say it their way. But I believe, for me, this is the best way to say this. And you can go look up what this really means. But this is the best way to say it. God is not in their thoughts at all. That marks the wicked. God is not in their thoughts at all. All. Now, here's what I want you to see about this. The wicked through the pride put God out of their thoughts. It is pride that pushes God out of your thoughts. It's pride. You can attend every service be a faithful member of a ministry and you can still be drunk. You can be a faithful member throughout the pandemic, give all your offerings. You could be sitting in that chair right now looking at me, hearing intently. You can still be drunk. Far away from being sober. Caught up in pride. You might be there right now and you might be one of those people who've lost your mind. This pride that I'm referring to says, God, I can do this without you. Let me say it again. Pride says, God, I can do it without you. In other words, here you are. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, this is the way I'll say it. Okay. There's a difference in pride in a center and a pride in a church of living water saint. You hear me? See, the center doesn't know God. And so it's no wonder God is not in their thoughts. But here you are, a Bible believing, claiming you're full of the Holy Spirit, sitting under a Bible teaching ministry who prays for their pastor, who prays for the word, 
praying that they hear the voice of God and you get instructions and you say, yeah, but no. You just say, God, I can do it without you. That's pride. You lost your mind. You're not sober. Oh, if we had just a little bit. Give me half a cent. For the times God has given instructions and the people who occupy the seats say, God, I can do it without you. And they think, oh, I'm fine. No, you're not focused. Because it takes sobriety to be focused. And pride and, sober, and sobriety do not go together. And your pride says, God, I don't care what your instructions are. I'm going to do it my way. You lost your mind. But here it is. You call yourself a believer. That's pride. We don't see it that way. We think we're just fine. We think we're okay. You know, there's one thing that comes to my mind. It's church hopping. You know why we hop from church to church? Because we're saying, God, I can do it without you. Amen. Glory to your name. In other words, one reason why we hop from church to church is we don't like what's being taught. We don't find ourselves in agreement with what's being taught. And so we move ourselves to find a place where we can hear something that won't offend us. And when we hear something that does offend us, you know what we do? We pack up and we leave. And we say we're real believers. We really are the people of God. But we can't stay settled because as soon as God says something we don't agree with, we say, God, I can do it without you. That's not what we say, is it? Is it really? And here's what we find out. Our pastor says it all the time. You're not going to prove God to be a lie. You're going to find out that all those things that you ran from were the voice of God. And, again, this is personal responsibility now. When you sit up here and say, what happened? How did this happen in my life? How did this destruction come about in my life? How did God let this happen? Now we're talking about personal responsibility. God laid it out before you. I heard it last week. Record heaven and earth before, against you this day. Choose life. I step before you life or death. Choose life. So many people choose death and don't even recognize it. You know, this one couple came to my mind. I remember this family. And I remember how they came. And they were in trouble. I'm going to tell you just quite plain. They were in trouble. Again, this is just an example. I remember there are many examples like this. And they had children. And their children were in trouble. But they settled themselves under the word of God. They humbled themselves under his mighty hand. And oh, what a transformation took place. But then a challenge came. And they stopped considering his plan. And they started to say, God, I can do it without you. And so they packed up and they left. I'm telling you, I don't understand this. I really don't. I mean, God has worked wonders. And a challenge comes. And then suddenly, 
uh, no, I don't know about this place. But you heard the voice of God here. And time would tell destruction after destruction. And you just ask yourself, what would have happened if they stayed focused? And I understand the challenge comes and it might be uncomfortable for a season, but remember, he's got a plan. His plan includes strength for you to make it through. And at the end, there's that peace. There's that joy. Just hold on. So when God places you in a ministry and you uproot yourself from that place, God's not in your thoughts. I know. I I understand. You're not making me feel good. I'm just peddling the truth. And again, remember, this is intended for those who are running well. But you don't stop running well. Now, I want to tell you, those who seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, these are the people who are sober. But there's a reason why you seek his kingdom first. Again, I'm going to just throw this out here. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to just throw this out here. You're going to have to see where I get this from. But being sober is when I remember who I am and what I have in Christ. Let me say it again. I'm talking about us. Okay, this is not for everybody. This is for us. Being sober is when I remember who I am and what I have in Christ. Let me say that again. Being sober is me remembering who I am in Christ and what I have in Christ. That keeps me settled. That allows me to hold it together. See, this is the essence of sobriety for the believer. Who am I? You know, I am, there's so many ways to say this, but I am purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am blood-bought. And I am not my own. I belong to Him. And because of what I have in Christ, now listen to this. Why would I want to be with anybody else? Deuteronomy chapter 8. We've got to keep it together. I, I'm just, I, I just don't know how to say this. We've got to keep it together. All right? We've got to understand in the midst of challenges. I'm not going to run from Christ with all that I gained with him. Why would I leave that? Why would I run away from that? I would have lost, have, I would have had to have lost my mind to leave that. Let me tell you something about husband and wife relationships. How is it that you can be married for some 30, 40 years and then leave your spouse? With as much as they invested into you, much as they put into you, as good as they treated you, then 30, 40 years later, you know what? Let me go on. You really have lost your mind. I I just don't see any sanity in that. There's no sanity if you're living with somebody for 40 years and you couldn't stand them. But I don't think that's the case. I believe you love one another. I believe you care for one another. And you're going to trade that for something else? And then you get to something else, especially you old men. Get a young woman you can't keep up with, and she spends all your money, and on your deathbed she takes your money, is not with you, to stay with you while you die. You lost your mind a long time ago. 
And all the family saying, oh, she was so wrong. Oh, he lost his mind and she just took advantage of the man who lost his mind. He should have kept it together. Woman who put up with me for all those years. My stinky attitudes. And my crazy ways. And I went and traded that for somebody who just wanted me for what I could give them. I'm sorry. I'm calm. Deuteronomy chapter 8. See, we have to have the proper outlook on our wilderness experience. Amen. See, Israel went through the wilderness. And there they were approved of God. And in the wilderness, sometimes it got a little choppy. That's why they complained. But we have to have a different outlook on our wilderness experience. Instead of looking at what we do not possess, look at how he's kept you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Do you hear the pride there? He's saying, don't get caught up in pride. Keep it together. Keep your mind together. Verse 14, then thine heart be lifted up, that's pride, and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. See, that, at that point I say, I don't need you, God. I got this. I don't need you, God. I got this. See, here we are with our new jobs, higher paying jobs, and it pulls us away from God. You're saying, God, I got this now. Now that you put me in this position, now that you put me in this place, I don't need your word so much. I don't need to be as dedicated. You know, sometimes we need to be in hard places. Because we learn in hard places sometimes to lean on him. But then suddenly, tomorrow comes, it's the flip of what we talked about in the beginning, where we go from hard days to good days, and then we forget, you know, but he was good to me to get me to this good point. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Because he's got a plan. (laughs) That he may establish his covenant, not yours which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Oh, there's a message in that in itself. Some of us are prospering because there's a promise God had to our fathers. And we think it's us. And because we won't hold to God's plan, we're going to mess it up for our children. You better know where the goodness came from. And you better not forget, you better stay sober. See, what would have had to happen for them to forget? They would have had to have forgotten the parting of the Red Sea. They would would have had to forget the spoiling 
of that great and mighty nation of Egypt. They would have had to have forgotten the pillar of cloud that lived them by day. The pillar of fire that lived them by night. They would have had to have forgotten the manna. They would have had to have forgotten the quail. They would have had to have forgotten all the mighty works of God to get to the point where they lost their mind. So I got a question for you. Has God been good to you? Some of you who did run, but aren't running like you used to and you know it. Did God change? Or did we change our mind? Did we change our position? And I want to let you know right now, if you change your mind and your position, the fowler got to you. The fowler got to you. Again, that's for those of you who have been following this teaching. The enemy has made inroads. But I'm here to let you know, God knew this day would come. And he has a plan. And I want to make sure you understand, you are a part of God's plan. If you submit yourself to him, get back where you need to be. You know the things that you're no longer doing that you used to do. Very simple people. We just want to stay focused. We don't want to be distracted. It's the enemy who wants to get us off focus. Who wants us to be distracted. Because he knows that the end of God's plan is good for you. And he's left out. He just doesn't want to go down alone. He's the one who coined the phrase misery loves company. He doesn't want you having it good while he he's destined for damnation. It's not a care for you just wants to get your mind mixed up and messed up. And here we are. I do want to say this. I mean, challenges are a part of life. Challenges are going to come. They're going to happen. So you trying to avoid them, it's not going to work, people. If they're going to come, I'd rather be on the winning side. (laughs) Hook into God. Keep his will and his plan at the forefront of your minds. Keep him in all of your thoughts and all of your plans. If you do that, you're well on your way to being focused and not being distracted. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.